and I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences have been or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are in your journey, you have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Hello, everybody. It's another beautiful day in South Florida, and I'm so excited to be here because I have a friend who's actually speeding along the highway up in Maryland. And I'm wishing him safe driving today. But my guest today is a friend of mine. His name is Dr. Barrett Matthews. And Barrett comes to us whew, from the crazy Washington metro. I guess they're calling it the DMV area right now. But Barrett, are you still there? I am here, Debbie. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited that you're with me today. And uh, before we go into anything, I just have to tell our listeners that Dr. Tim and I, Tim from uh, the Society of Citizens Against Relationships, uh, Relationship Scam Scars, and a few other of our senior survivors were interviewed by National Geographic last weekend for a documentary that is going to come out next week. I have to encourage everyone on this show to go watch the documentary Trafficked on National Geographic. It will enlighten you as to what is happening in the world with, it, they call it trafficked, but it's about scams. And I watched their first one, their, the episode one of series one about fraud and scams, the lottery in Jamaica and Israel's financial scams, and I was blown away. So when we got interviewed by them the other day, I was like, this is amazing. They're going to do a great job on romance scams, and they're on their way. They're in Ghana. And they're looking at what's happening in Ghana. And so that's kind of the background of where I'm coming from this week. I got so ginned up over the weekend about standing up and speaking up and finding a voice to change the world. And that brings me down to my guest, Barrett Matthews. Barrett was on a cruise with me and Sharon Frame back in 2016, right after my book came out. And he was the first man to have heard my story. And we're going to talk about that today because he helped me change my voice and change the world with stories. So Barrett, welcome, welcome. I'm so grateful you're here today. So am I. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's amazing. And we talked about your bio. And a friend of ours, Reuben West, always said, don't read the bio because you're just reading it. Tell something yeah. about your guest. So... Guess what I'm going to tell everybody about my guest? Oh, God, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I've got so many stories I you, should let you know. Right. You know me. You know me now. So it's oh. like, I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> Who knows? But all I can tell you is 
he's a great bongo player, and he and Allison Harvey and my mother were shaking it up on the stage in Jamaica. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, I, I mean, I have that vision of Allison and my mom just shaking, uh, you know, with the with the reggae guys on, on the top of the hill in Jamaica after you and Cece, no, I guess it was you and Allison went um, on the bobsled the Jamaican yes. bobsled ride. Yes, yes, I still have that picture. <laughs> you, yeah, and Cece and I went up on, uh, CCSB and I went up on the, uh, we did the zip line and met you guys at the top of the bobsled, and you were just ha singing happy birthday in Jamaican to my mother. Yeah, what that was a hoot. fun. But Barrett is a very accomplished serial entrepreneur, is the way I'm going to call you, because I was watching some videos today about you, and I didn't realize all the things that you've done. But primarily right now you your passion is taking entrepreneur or taking executives to entrepreneurial businesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. productivity, profitability, passion to profits. And mm -hmm. that's what you do. And I want if you're if anybody is want, wanting to further educate themselves on Dr. Barrett Matthews, go to YouTube. He's everywhere. And <laughs> Amazing. Okay, and so I love the I love the fact when when I I put one of the bullets here it says why don't you want to be famous? And when I went to a YouTube this morning and said Barrett Matthews, pooh, you popped up. You popped up. Oh, really? You're famous. <laughs> I'm not famous. You're famous. Well, you're a great guy, Barrett, and and I, uh, I we have so much to talk about. But want to go back to when you were younger. I'd love to do this with my guests because I wanted to find out where you came from, Barrett. Where did you grow up and what was your family situation like with siblings and that kind of stuff? I, you know, I, I would say that I, I was and still am truly blessed. Uh, I, God gave me two wonderful parents. They both uh, came from large families. My father is one of 10. My mother is the oldest of 13. And they, when they got married, they had four kids. I'm the third of four. And... Before I was born, a year before I was born, they moved from the apartment they were in to a suburb of the D.C. area called Glen Arden, Maryland. And Glen Arden was, uh, it was a middle-class neighborhood and, and still is. It's pretty much one of those neighborhoods where all your neighbors know each other, everybody's friendly. And to this day, a lot of my childhood friends were still very, very close. We communicate with each other almost every day, especially with social media. But it's, it was a very good upbringing. I mean, it was, I always tell people, it was a, it was a predominantly African-American neighborhood, but I tell people it was like one of those leave it to beaver neighborhoods, but it was just African-American because everybody, everybody knew each other. Everybody was friendly. You know, you could leave your door open. Everybody, everybody was just friendly. And I was blessed in that. that it, I tell people it wasn't a neighborhood. It was a community. And I had that upbringing around them. Now, my parents were not rich, but we weren't we weren't poor. I tell everybody I had had everything I needed, and if I wanted something, they usually found a way to to get it for me. But I usually had you know modest wants, so they you know they helped me. They allowed me to try different things, which I thought was wonderful. I, I was I talked to my father about that sometime last year that because we were talking about my my nephews and their kids. He said that. You know, he said, let the kid try the sport. And I said, that's the one thing I appreciate you guys. You let me try different things. Whether I stuck with it or not, you let me try it. And to find out what I was interested in, what I wanted to do. And you know, so that, that was pretty much, you know, my childhood. I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And uh, all of them are, you know, doing pretty well for themselves. And, you know, I have 
this is a great family. My parents are still with me, thank God. One's 86, one's 88, and uh, I'm just just blessed. I did. I, I I can't complain about my upbringing at all. Well, that's great, and I wasn't asking you to complain about it. I just wanted to know what you did because <laughs> <laughs> you're such a happy-go-lucky guy. So when you were young, <clears throat> did you find did you have hobbies or sports? What did you like to do with your time? Oh then? yeah, well, I, I was football was my life. Um, <laughs> we, we we looked at every opportunity, me and my friends, to play football. If it was snow on the ground, it was like not if we're going to play football. Is what time? We I mean we did. I lived on a hill. So we did a lot of sleigh riding and skateboarding when it was spring out in the summer. Um, played a lot of basketball. Um, it, it was just we, we had we did all the fun things outside. I, I was a I was a I was a TV junkie as a kid. I you know I, I actually could tell you the whole TV guide, but this was before cable, of course. But <laughs> I, I could I could tell you everything that was on TV. I watched TV all the time, and it was just uh, I, I, yeah my 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 mother made us every Sunday. We had to go to Sunday school. And even though sometimes we didn't want to go, my father gave us the look, and I think many of us know that look that the father <laughs> gives you. And uh, so we just said, okay, I'm going. But when we came home, we went and played football with, with my friends. So I was, I was heavily into, into that uh, growing up. I, I used to be able to draw really well when I was young. I used to be able to draw really well. And it's a, it's a funny kind of a, a story here because I don't know if you remember – in those magazines, they used to have the thing, draw Skippy, and you get a chance to enter and win some type of art scholarship or whatever. I was young, and I was drawing those things. I was very good at it. But they would always send me a letter when I sent in my drawing saying that I was too young to enter. <laughs> well, by the time I got old enough, I had lost interest. <laughs> so so I, yeah, I never did enter in for that art scholarship. But I did uh, go to college for architecture until it just really kicked my butt. But, uh, but that was my, you know, my my childhood, I yeah, I, I got into drawing a lot. I was into sports. I I uh, got a lot of friends. And like I said, a lot of my friends were still friends to this day. That I'm talking about going back to preschool, and we're still friends to this day. And we just we're always keeping in touch with each other. So it was it was, it was fun. I, I did a lot of activities. You know, because my parents let me try. They even tried karate once. Didn't didn't last too long doing that. But but I still got to try it. Well, it's funny. I was looking at your, all the things that you've done that I could find on online, and, and I was thinking he's a jack-of-all-trades. And I wanted to know, yeah. what do you feel like you're the master of? Well, it's funny. I think that I'm pretty good at speaking. Mother I had agree. Speaking in, thank you. My mother had me speaking in church from the time I could stand up and talk. And... I, a lot of times she voluntold me for, for different positions, mm-hmm. meaning I was told that I was doing this where I had no say-so in it. And, but I appreciate it right now because I have no problem with getting up and speaking in front of people. And it's one of those things that you know I appreciate now and, and other people can appreciate it. And, of course, don't get me wrong, I have learned more from people like Dr. Reuben West. I've learned more about speaking from people like him and other people that I've been around and some that you know as well. But it's one of those things that I think that that's an area where I'm pretty good at. I've been asked to emcee different events, host different events because of that. And I, I think that's one of the areas, I'm not going to say I've mastered it, but I definitely do better than others. Were you ever afraid of speaking? And, and if so, uh, how, did you get, how did you get through that? It's one of those things where it, 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 I, I guess I get a, not afraid. It's more of an anxiety. 
it's more of an anxiety. And the one thing I, I do to get past it is harken back to the fact that, Barrett, you've been doing this all your life. You know, it's one of those things I just had to tell myself, you've been doing this all your life, so get up there and do it. And once I get started, it's, you know, it's moving. It's, it's no problem then. But it's, you just have to tell yourself, at least that's what I do. I just tell myself I've been doing this forever, so just do it. I, I tell myself I can't be afraid to do something that I was doing at age three. So, so that's what I, I'm like, you, you can't be afraid now. You've been doing this since you were three years old. Get up there and talk. Well, and it's funny that you brought up the word anxiety because I saw an interview that you did with Patricia Rogers and you talked about um, procrastination, which is a byproduct of anxiety, and then you came out and said, well, anxiety is, is perceived. It's not real. True, true. Yeah, it's something you made up in your head. We're, we're anxious about something that we think might happen or might not happen, but it didn't happen. We, we're just thinking that it could happen, and it's one of those things that we've made up. We're, we're fooling ourselves and that makes us freeze. That's why we procrastinate. But it feels real. I had it a, I it had may a, feel real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it may. <laughs> I had a woman contact me this past week, and she's a, a victim of relationship fraud, an older woman that lost a lot of money and does not have any friends. Um, is by herself. And she, just, she keeps writing to me saying, I'm so anxious, I'm so anxious. And I'm thinking, what do I tell her? Barrett, what would you tell her to be able to move forward to move on out of where that, that space of anxiety right now? Well, there's nothing wrong with moving cautiously. And see, here's the thing we have to understand. If she has been through something before, obviously there's going to be something in there. One thing I definitely recommend is some counseling to help. Because it's one of the things that you know this better than, better than anyone. Sometimes you have to talk to someone about it because you haven't really dealt with it yet. So she, she has to just talk to someone and deal with it because if she's afraid of a relationship because of something that has happened in the past, she's not going to be any good for that next relationship until she's dealt with it. So that has to be the first thing. But then it's okay to move cautiously. I mean, it's actually wise to move cautiously. Whether you've been through anything or not, it's always wise to move cautiously into a new relationship because you don't you, – you don't know that person that, you know, when you first meet someone, you're knowing who they want you to see. So you've you got to really, you know, get to, get to know that person, let them get to know you. But at first, you have to make sure you're whole. You can't, you can't be a, a portion of who you are before you jump into a relationship because then you'll have, you know, one, one may be whole, one may be partially there, and that's not fair to either one of you. Yeah. Well, that's true. And, and speaking of relationships and how we met, when we were on the Lead Hership cruise, which was um, Sharon's Frame cruise a few years ago, mm-hmm. I'm going to drop these names because they were really fun. It was Allison Harvey, yeah, who was my recent ball. guest. <laughs> CCS View. Uh, Cece's a photographer and lives down here. Incredible story yourself. Sharon Frame. Yeah. Uh, Patricia Rogers. It, it, we had so much fun. But Barrett, when I first met you, you were the only man of our women's group conference, and I thought you were so brave. <laughs> <laughs> to be in the middle of this group of crazy women. That was so much fun. <laughs> How did you get involved with that group? Well, it's funny. Do um, you remember Jules Mueller? I do. Jules and I are part of CEO Space. And we met so at am CEO I. Space. Oh, okay, great. So we met at CEO Space in Vegas. And Jules, and I, she, she, Jules contacted me about an event that was happening in Baltimore, and she thought that I would be interested in, in attending it and setting up a booth there, which I did. 
And then she contacted me later. She said, I have a friend named Sharon Frame, and she, she puts on this cruise. But she said, I just think you would, be, you and her would just hit it off just, just talking because I think, just think business-wise you all may hit it off. So she, she connected me and Sharon. Sharon and I talked, and she was right. We hit it off instantly. And it was just, mm-hmm. Sharon just invited me. She said, I think you would be a great fit to come on my cruise. So, I mean, from that point on, I was like, I'm in. I love a cruise. <laughs> so I got on the cruise, and she told me that I would probably I would uh, have an opportunity to speak, and that I would be the only male in the group. And and, and for everyone listening, I wasn't the only male on the cruise. <laughs> oh, no, that's true. In our I group, only, I was the only male in that group on the cruise. But and that's how that's how you know it came to be, and you know got to meet some fantastic people. I mean, I had a ball on that thing. Well, and you, you're a marvelous singer. You did karaoke. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I remember watching you do that. You just walked right up because I think I have, this, I have this inner desire to do karaoke, but I've got this inner fear that it's not going to work. That's why I always play the piano and didn't sing. Well, you know, they say karaoke is Japanese for tone deaf, so you don't. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> you're not tone deaf. You are an incredible speaker, uh, singer and speaker. And so you were able to use your voice, and that was part of the conversation today, was using our voice to change the world. You changed my world when you got up there and did karaoke, and, and then when Patricia Rogers came in and another girl came in that you didn't know, oh, my gosh, you guys were rocking the ship. <laughs> it was just fun. I tell people at karaoke, if, if you're not doing it for fun, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Exactly. I, I, I tell people, I don't laugh at people that can't sing. I, I laugh at the ones that can't sing that think they can sing. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that you got up there, that you, you know, just did it, because that, that was not, I don't know if it's fear, it was anxiety for me, and I never took the step. I kept waiting. Well, actually, I was thinking, I'll do it tomorrow night. I'll be the first one up there just to say that I did it. And by the right. time I got there, there were so many people. I'm like, no way. Well, that was because of that. I can't remember her name of the young lady. Who was, everybody was there. Everybody wanted to see her. Right. She was good. She was very good. And people got up there just to see her. They got up there early because they knew she was going to be there. Yeah. So the rest of us, another day, I'll do karaoke in my bedroom someday. Uh, <laughs> But what I loved about you, I remember that cruise was the first time I'd ever talked about my story uh, in public. And my mom was there. And you got to know my mom pretty well. It was fun. Yes. How did you feel when you heard my story for the first time? Because I like to hear a man's point of view of what, how that made you feel. I was blown away. Because all I kept thinking, and I told you this, I kept thinking, oh, my God, I would have never told that story. I, I, all I kept saying was that story would have gone to the grave with me. And it wasn't a matter of judging you or anything. For, it was just a matter. First of all, I was angry that someone would do that. I was just really angry that someone would do that to, to someone. And, it, cause, and from a man's point of view, I was just thinking, why would a man do that to someone? It just, it just, because I, I can't stand a thief. And it, it, is, it, it drives me crazy. So I, I, that, that just made me mad. But for you to get up there and tell that story, that was just amazing to me. So, and just like you said earlier, all the women in our group kept telling me, oh, you're so brave being the only man here. And I kept saying, no, she's brave. I, I just said that she's brave because for you to tell that story in front of a group of people and you'd never told it before in public, that was, that was brave. 
that was brave. That had me just being in a, in a group of women speaking. Like I said, I wasn't the only male on the cruise, but, but it was just that group. I just that wasn't bravery. What you did was brave, and that's how I saw it. Well, I found that ch- telling your story, no matter what story it is, can really change your life, and it can change it for the good. Mm-hmm. And has there ever been a time in your life where you've really felt down and out? And if so, how did you get up from it? And who did you tell? Who did you tell to help you that might have helped you get up? Well, I have, I've had some times where I felt down and out. And actually, it wasn't a matter of telling anyone. I went back to my roots. I really I told God. And I just talked to God. And usually when I, when I just have those moments where I just talk to God, I actually, God talks to me and just tells me, get up. And when I, once I get up, it's amazing how everything, you know, starts working out. I remember I, I used to live in New York for a period. I worked at, at CBS. And I remember one winter walking in the streets of New York. I was going to an, an editing studio. And I, I, it was like bitter, bitter cold. Wind was going through the buildings like crazy. And I was seeing these homeless people. And I just remember saying to myself, Barrett, no matter how bad things get, someone has it worse than you. And I always reflect back on that. No matter what happens in my life, I always reflect back on that, that memory of my mind, just seeing those homeless people out there. And I said, you know what, your problems, cause, cause here's what I look at with me, no matter how, things, how bad things get. I have a loving family, a big family who loves me. I have many, many friends who love and care for me. And that if I needed them, if I, you know, if I needed them, I would have to make, probably swallow some pride but they would be there for me. And that's what, and I, I, you know, I said, I have my, I, I, I try not to go to that place. Of, well, I, I mean, I don't need to anymore, but I, I, I just, when I've been down, I have just usually just had to pull myself out of it. And I usually don't necessarily confide in friendships. By the time I want to do that, I've usually got myself out of it. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of it came from, some of my mentors in life who taught, told me some things that I should be reading, told me some things that I should be feeding my mind. I had a friend tell me once, you're the only person I know that doesn't have any problems. And I said, no, I have just as many as everyone else. I just don't wallow in them because mm-hmm. I made sure that I feed myself enough to, to know how to snap out of it. A friend of mine told me a long time ago, you can't control the thoughts that come into your mind, but you can control how long they stay there. Mm-hmm. So, what I do is I try to make sure that I, my recovery time is quicker than, than some others may be. That's what I, I try to do, to try my best at least. Well, and that's, that's really important. And uh, I, I feel like I'm the same way in many respects is that you don't want to stay down and out. You're not a victim to something. Something's happened mm-hmm. to you and let's learn from it and move on. And we're not harsh when we, you know, when people come to me and say, well, how do I do this? I'm like, okay, so if you've come to me, you've given me license to say, what I want to say, and I'm I'm typically very gentle about it, but direct, because I wanted people to come to me after my problem and say, okay, it happened, get up, don't hide from it, put on your big girl panties and move forward. <laughs> it's tough, but then I started putting myself around people, and I met you, I met uh, Sharon Frame, I met Reuben West, Clyde Rivers, these people that are very charismatic and very caring, but use their voices to speak up. 
and mm-hmm. to tell stories. And I think that we, what I've found over the years is that our strength is in our story. And you use that, and actually into going into your businesses today, you've got a podcast. Mm-hmm. How do you use your podcast to get people's stories out there and what's been the effect on the world? Well, it is funny because I'm, I have one podcast. I'm about to launch another. But the podcast I have right now, the Productive Podcaster, is helping people who want to start a podcast or who already may have a podcast to let them know that they don't have to conform and be like everyone else to get their podcast going. Uh, a lot of people have messages, just like you. They have, they have a story that they need to get out, but they are afraid that they have to be perfect, that it has to come out a certain way or they can't do it. And I tell people, the longer you're waiting to do that, the less people you're helping because people need to hear what you have to say. You have to make them hear your voice. So what I do on my podcast is I bring on people like you and have them tell how you launched your podcast, what happened with your podcast, what problems you might have encountered, how you overcame them, uh, what's different about your podcast. So to let them know that it doesn't matter how you do it, just do it so that you can get that voice out because you never know who at a certain moment in time may need to hear what you have to say and only you. So if they hear that, it could, you never know how it can affect someone, how it could change someone's life and may get their podcast going, may get their voice out there so someone else could be helped. And it's kind of like a, you know, a, a, a chain reaction. If you, as long as you, you can get someone's voice out there, they can learn from it, they can get their voice out there. So it's just a matter of helping people just by getting their voices out there because the great thing about podcasting, as you know, is that it can go all over the world and you never know who needs to hear you. And it's just that one person, like you said, that – needs to hear what you have to say and it'll change their life and exactly. that was part of the reason I think well that was the greatest reason uh, for for me coming out is because once I realized that I couldn't change what happened to me but I could change what happens to the person sitting beside me if they hear the story it gave yeah. me great courage to speak up because it's not about you at that point it's about what you can do to change someone else's life or to help someone else. And that's, that for me, it was very therapeutic in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, but sure. speaking out like that, can, it can help your grandmother or your mother or, you know, your next door neighbor because there's so much going on in the world that we don't know about. There's so oh much noise. We heard the other day someone was asking a question, especially about relationship scams, but scams in general right now because they're yeah. so huge. So many, uh, yeah. Why are people still being taken when we're talking about it so much? And I'm thinking, you're not talking about it. We're not talking mm-hmm. about it enough. And the people that are talking about it are listening. You know, they're, they're in their own little worlds. They may be talking a lot about it, but the well, person across the street the- is not hearing it. But you have to understand, though, it, human nature is that we want to trust one another. Yeah. We want to trust. I mean, we, we, it, we all innately want to trust. We want to be able to trust one another. We don't want to go around with this guard up all the time. We want to be able to let someone in. And so it's, it's not – you can say, why are, why are people being taken? But it's still a matter of people want to trust. You know, I, I deal with I deal with uh, insurance claims. Started with helping people with insurance claims and with their homeowners insurance. And people say, well, you know, you can't trust the insurance company. Well, but the thing is, 
but all their commercials are about trust us. So, so, mm. so it's, it's just one of those things that we want to trust. And it's just one of the, we just have, it's a human, it's a human quality. We want to trust one another. Well, that's a very interesting fact about you and the uh, public adjuster. I didn't know that until I saw you on YouTube. And yeah. <laughs> the, the company that you have, you're a certified public adjuster. Can you just tell people what that does? I, again, I'd never heard of it, so I learned something yeah, new. Well, morning. most people haven't heard of it. It's a profession. It's been around for over 135 years. But it, what, it, what a public adjuster is, is an advocate for policyholders. Um, people who you own a home, most people, if you have damage, you call the insurance company. They send out an adjuster, and hopefully you'll get a settlement. What most people don't realize is that you can have your own adjuster, a public adjuster who represents the policyholder and not the insurance company, and they go against the insurance company to make sure they pay you what you're supposed to get paid, not just what the insurance company wants to pay you. Well, I thought that was an extraordinary uh, occupation because, I mean, I, I have my insurance license. <laughs> I get okay, it, but cool. I'm not a property ins- – you know, it's not property, it's life insurance. But yeah. I think people would typically be a little bit afraid – Kind of like the IRS, you're you're afraid to go to them. Yeah, Why? yeah, it, that that is well. Keep in mind, I tell people the insurance companies have a god complex. They want you to fear them, but they also want you to think they're going to take care of you. Yeah. And so the thing is, people are a lot of people. I've had people say to me, "Well, if I put in a claim, are they going to be mad at me?" I'm like, "You do realize you pay them, right?" <laughs> <laughs> They work for you. It's one of those things that, you know, people are, a lot of people are afraid of their insurance company. And they're like, well, what happens if they decide they don't want me? And I said, well, what would happen if your car insurance dropped you? They said, oh, I have to get another company. I said, so why wouldn't you do the same thing for your home? (laughs) Just get another company. There are plenty Mm -hmm. of them out there. But it's just one of those things that people are afraid of. And I, I tell you, the main reason I think people are afraid is because they never understand their policy. Mm-hmm. People don't read them. And so what we do as public adjusters, we educate people on their policy first to let them know what they have, what they don't have, things they may need to change about their policy. And once they get educated, they feel a little bit more empowered. And then they understand that they've been paying for things that are covered in their home for years. They just didn't know it was covered. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we, we just help them get, you know, get the settlement for those things. So you you are typically called in after an event, after a hurricane, after a tornado, after what? After a water leak? Well, actually, I prefer to go in before anything happens and review the policy. It's a free Mm -hmm. service we do. Just review the policy. Because I would rather go in and educate you on your policy, tell you what coverages you need to have. And actually, seven out of ten times I go, go in to do that, there's something in their house right now that they can be covered for. They just didn't know it. And I just do that. I, I do that as a free service review their policy, and I usually can find something in their home that they're actually covered for. Now, a lot of times I've had people call me, you know, after something happened, and unfortunately they didn't have the right coverages, so mm-hmm. I could not help them. So I, that's why I said I'd rather go in before anything happens. That way I can see if something happens, see if something's there, and you may need to change something about your policy. If you change it, then when that thing happens, you call me because you know who to call now. <laughs> so if you call me, I can help because I know you have the right coverage. Now, are you licensed only up in Maryland, or is that something that you could talk to anybody I'm, around the country? Well, we talk uh, to anybody around the country. I'm not licensed all around the country, but I know people who are. 
Okay. And I'm licensed uh, from Pennsylvania all the way down to Georgia okay. on the East Coast. Well, dang, we're in Florida. Come on, move south. Well, I have people down there. Okay. <laughs> I got people down there. Well, it's just interesting. I mean, I, I'm i thinking about my mom and dad, and, you know, your parents are about the same age as mine. And mm-hmm. um, I wish I had somebody like that that could review their long-term care. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not an they've had it for They've <laughs> had it for 40 years. And, you know, I had an attorney that says, well, you ought to start using that. And I'm looking at it. I'm reviewing it. And I'm pretty smart. But there's so much to it. I'm thinking, they could use that help. They have all this money, and they're going to die, and all it has been for naught. I know an attorney who specializes in that area and uh, dealing with the states and dealing with taking care of parents and stuff. I can refer you to them. Pass them on. See, that's why we stand up and speak up, guys, because we're all going through different things in life. And uh, it's, it's daunting because you think that, oh, my gosh, it's like if you have a car accident. If you call them and you tell them what happened, then your premium goes up. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not going to happen with long-term insurance. care, except it well, does because my parents age. People think all insurances are the same, and they're not. Yeah. But like you said, but car insurance, car insurance and homeowners are different. Car insurance and long-term care are different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I found that very interesting that you, I didn't know that side of you. And I'm thinking, wow, you are an advocate. <laughs> but you're an advocate for homeowners. And... Very interesting. So thank you for doing that. Um, well, no problem. <laughs> but you also put yourself around guys, and I, these are the guys that I really have uh, found that are changing the world with their voices, and it's the mm-hmm. I Change Nation group. It's Dr. Yeah. Clyde Rivers. It's Reuben West. How did you get involved with those guys, and what have you been able to do with them? Well, I tell you, it, it, it's funny. Um, I, a couple years ago, back in 2019, I went to Reuben West's event, uh, the, the Black Belt Speakers. I, I'd already gone through his Black Belt Speaker training, and Reuben West, for those of you who don't know, he's an incredible speaker. He, he's a Black Belt in karate. That's why he comes with the name Black Belt Speakers, but he, he trains people in, in speaking. Well, I went to this event for the second time. It was different than the first time. This one was an event. The first time I went was more of a training. This one was an event, and it was so full of fun music and a lot of learning and but they had an award ceremony. Now, I was, I was there because I, I, I knew a lot of the people who were getting awards, and I, I had not met Dr. Rivers in person, but he had been on, if you remember at the time, I was hosting the Black CEO Morning Show, mm-hmm. and I, I ran into him there at this event. And you know, I was sitting next to some of my friends who were getting awards, and they said, yeah, we knew we were getting the award. That's what they we came here to get the award in front of everybody. I said, that's cool. So, that's cool. So next thing I know, Dr. Rivers introduces Dr. West. So he comes up, and he starts saying that we have this award. It's the Distinguished Leadership Award with I Change Nations. And they talk about this award, this international award and everything. And then they say, Barrett Matthews. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, and this young lady next to me, Kenneth Thigpen, she says, you didn't tell me you were getting an award. I said, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go up on stage and gave a, you know, a short speech. And I'm still like, don't know what's going on. I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what was going on. And so later they had a, a you, you got a chance to spend like 15 minutes talking to Dr. Rivers. And he, and if, as you know, the man is an incredible visionary. He is. He is. An incredible. Oh, my gosh. And so I sat down and talked to him, 
And my 15-minute talk with him lasted almost a half an hour. Someone mm. had to come knock on the door and say, hey, someone is waiting. <laughs> because he and I just kept talking. And later that evening, he and I sat around the, the, the bar restaurant area of the hotel and talked. He was telling me about this award that I, he said, you need to put out a press release. Because he, he told me, he said, I don't think you're getting the magnitude of this award. And he was right, I wasn't. He said, this is an international award. And a lot of people have been given this award. It's, it's an international award for, for leadership. And I'll be honest with you, Debbie, I still didn't get the magnitude until later, about a, almost, almost a year later, uh, Dr. West told me, he said, ask Dr. Rivers who else has received that award. And then he let me know, like, we're talking uh, presidents of nations. We're talking uh, mayors of, of cities in different countries and all the presidents of the Lions Club and stuff. All these people are getting this award that they gave to me. And I'm like, wow. I, I really, then it really hit me. So he actually had come to D.C. a little while after that event, Dr. Rivers did, and I met him at his hotel and we talked. And he said, I want you to write a book. I'm like, okay, I'd written two books prior to that. He said, I want you to write a book on execution. And I said, okay. And he said, I want you to write it with a flair for doing business internationally too. I said, okay, I can do that. And I wrote the book. I called it A Call to Action, and he did the forward for it. And he said, he said when you write the book, I'm going to make sure I put it in some, uh, some universities and over and over in Africa, and we're going to make sure I get it in the hands of some of the, the leaders around the world. And I'm still, you know, kind of like, wow, well, really, that's cool. I, that's how I was thinking of it. And he said, and I can get you an honorary doctorate as well. I'm like, what? He's like, man, you forgot who you're talking to. So last year, we're in the pandemic. Around this time, I think it was last April, I literally was just going inside to take a walk, get some air. And my phone just dings, and I look at it, and it's an image of an honorary doctorate that he had gotten me for doing this. I was like, are you serious? Then <laughs> two minutes later, I get another thing on my phone, and he actually basically gave me the distinction of being a world civility ambassador with mm-hmm. iChange Nations. And I'm just like blown away and humble. So, of course, I called him, and he was going over all this with me. So, right, then you know, he, he's, he's asked me for more copies of the book so he can put it into more hands of people. And then he just talked to me last week about doing some work in Ghana because he is going to be a king in Ghana. And he wants me to help him with that as well. So it's just, I've been just trying to help them with bring civility around the world and just to make this world a better place. Well, if there's a country that needs some civility training, it is definitely Ghana. <laughs> and, you know, you and I talked about that the other day, and I had mentioned yeah, to Dr. Did. Tim about Ghana, and I'm like, there is a lot of wild, wild west going on in Ghana as far yeah. as the scam world goes, and it's actually very, very dangerous there. And this whole we, world needs civility, I swear. Yeah, <laughs> when the team, when the National Geographic's team was leaving my house to fly to Ghana, uh, we were like, you guys really be careful, be careful. And honestly, this might be a really good time to bring in Dr. Tim, if he's available, because Tim can get gunned up about Ghana. Um, mm-hmm. But civility is so important. Barrett, and that's yeah. why I'm, I'm really grateful that I was connected with Ruben and, and Dr. Rivers and with you and the whole I Change Nations and civility. You know, it's amazing, especially what, what he's doing over in, in um, Africa. Dr. Yeah. McGinnis, are you on the line? I am. Tim, when you heard the word Ghana pop out of Barrett's mind, what came to your mind? 
Oh, just that we're continuing to harass the heck out of the government of Ghana right now with some success. In what ways? Well, our organization is engaged in a, a activist campaign with Ghana right now where uh, our core of volunteers are dropping comment bombs across social media on almost every Ghanaian website, or, or excuse me, social media page um, that they can find. The objective of our campaign is actually very simple. We've had tremendous success working with Nigeria, and even most recently uh, with the development of a cyber crimes unit in Ivory Coast, uh, and then Ivory Coast is working with the other French-speaking uh, uh, republics in Africa to help them develop similar capabilities. Even though Ghana has a, a, an active cyber crimes department, and theoretically I've spoken with the head of the cyber crimes unit, they won't even identify themselves as officers, badge numbers, official identification, or anything. Ghana is like Gambia and a few others, still so corrupted that they're not thinking beyond the moment of being able to line their pockets. And with the U.S. Special Forces having a base in Ghana, they know that the United States is not going to pull the plug on them. We were successful in convincing the government of Nigeria a couple of years back that they really had to worry about the foreign aid that they received from the United States. And we got tremendous attention when we started talking openly about lobbying Congress to pull foreign aid from Nigeria. Um, so we've seen over the last few years tremendous progress in policing the corruption problem that exists in Nigeria. But they are different in the sense that a third of Nigeria is basically still a war zone, whereas Ghana, it just is what it is. It's, it's, you know, it's a small country with a large population with a profoundly corrupt government that unfortunately, and, and this is where your services will be so beneficial potentially, is Ghana needs a culture change. And four years ago, Nigeria started to do this. They started with the, with the uh, more recent Nigerian administration to begin this process of teaching the culture of Nigeria that they have to stop the corruption, not only at the financial ministerial government but right down into their own homes. Mm -hmm. The things that they tolerate, their behaviors, their interactions, the way women and gays are treated, were all fundamentally important issues that have to change. Ghana isn't there yet. Ivory Coast, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Gambia, Guinea, all of them, none of them except for Nigeria are anywhere close to that point. I mean, in Ghana, for example, the Technical University in Kumasi, it's full of online scammers. Almost every university in Ghana is polluted with them. 
And it's, it's the corruption inherently in those systems that scammers get in there in the form of sometimes professors, and they will recruit students. Students buy into that corrupt mindset and will engage in anything. And it creates a profoundly disturbing criminal class. We have a we have a sort of secret agent in Ghana that keeps feeding us information about what's really going on there. But it's profoundly disturbing. And until that changes, uh, not a lot's going to go on. One of the things I wanted to get out on the table really, really quickly associated with your insurance adjuster role and in your advisory capacity to insurance holders. Most insurance customers never think about the additional riders that they can add on to their policies to protect them against losses from scams, cons, and fraud. Most insurance policies have those options available. There are coverage in most for dealing with certain kinds of crimes, but you have to specifically ask for coverings for scams, fraud, etc. And unfortunately, if some of our victims, like Debbie, who had had such a writer on her policy, she would have been covered. Because not only is it important to do that, but when we lost the casualty loss deduction for our taxes, it was sort of a double loss, so to speak. Because mm -hmm. up until uh, 2016 or so, you could at least deduct it from your taxes. But after that point, you couldn't and have not been able to since. So I encourage everyone who has a homeowner's or a renter's policy to make sure that you look at adding riders for different types of crime eventualities mm -hmm. because the reality is everybody will be excuse me everybody will be scammed that is definitely a newbie for me i mean now i my scam happened before we lost all the the protections so i was able to actually to use some of them but i didn't know that there were homeowner writers for that so there's an aha moment for us maybe we can get some more information about that tim and we'll put it up on the on the website if you have to ask for it and who right. who knew to ask? <laughs> well, the, the, the policyholder has to be sufficiently aware of the things that can happen in their life mm -hmm. so that they are aware of it. Mm -hmm. he's, he's absolutely right. He's that. The, the, the problem is, and I mean, is that when most people, when they get homeowner's insurance, they just want to close on the house. Right. They just want to get the – and that's, they get it because they have to have it and they don't ask any other questions, and they never look at the policy after that. And I always find it funny because I've heard people say, oh, I know what to say to the insurance company. And I say, well, how do you know what to say to the insurance company about a policy that they wrote which you never read? That's true. Right. And, and, on, and honestly, you're getting it, and you're trying to you know, get it at the, the lowest price possible. That's it. That's what people are looking for. The they just want to be covered. So that, that's right. So they can sign on their house. Yeah, and, and it's, it, back to what, it's not low price. It's not low price if you have the potential of losing thirty to fifty or a hundred thousand dollars because your policy doesn't cover it. But you're not Thank thinking you. that when you buy it. Uh, yeah, you're well, right. 
you know, Debbie, those of us who've lived in Florida well, we understand insurance because I think I've been through 13 hurricanes here in Florida. Yeah. So it's always on our mind, and we're acutely sensitive to wind damage, damage coverage. But there's a lot of things that can happen. Uh, my favorite recently was the guy who had an airplane engine fall through his roof. He wasn't covered. <laughs> who figures? Because it's not an act of God. No, that's true. But that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Covered for that. He should have been covered oh, for yeah. that. Yeah, he'll be compensated by the airline itself through their insurance, but his homeowner's insurance didn't he, he have... He should have had his policy reviewed because he should have been covered by his homeowner's for that. Should have been, but apparently yeah. bare bones policies. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know who he had for. <laughs> well, the the point here is to to look at your policy, to read it, yeah. because how many of us get those documents, and they might be thirty, forty pages long, and you're just looking at the premium and when you have to pay it, and you're not looking at it until you and, need and, it, and like you said, it it might be too late. Same with life and insurance. And here's the other thing: is to have a have a public adjuster look at it, not your agent. Okay. Um, right. The agent's job is to sell. It's okay. kind of like I, I look. I tell people like this when I have to explain it to them. I said, if your car breaks down, you don't take it to the salesman. <laughs> True. So <laughs> they'll sell you a new car. <laughs> right. He'll sell you a new car, but he, and he can't tell you anything about what's happening with your car because that's not his job. His, his job is to sell. So uh, another. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Tim. Another aspect of, of the world of fraud that a lot of homeowners are completely oblivious to is the simple reality that there are large numbers, massive numbers, of professional fraudsters that operate in the United States, for example, and yes. they will deliberately walk up your driveway and fall. Yes, yes, mm. yes. And if, if you don't know what your coverage is, you could be out $100,000 because your coverage might only cover $10,000 of something like that. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'm glad you said that, Tim, because I tell people all the time, when it comes to liability, talk to an attorney on your liability coverage. Because a lot of people, I've had people ask me about how much coverage, I said, look, you need to talk to an attorney on that. I said, because if you were to get sued for someone falling, there's nothing a public adjuster can do for you. You need a lawyer. Mm. So, so you need to make sure that the lawyer advises you on how much coverage you need for your liability, because that's a totally different thing. I can help with the, when it comes to what happens to the house, but when someone sues you, you need an attorney. And that's why I tell people you, you want to talk to the attorney about what your liability limit should be, because that's a, what Tim said. That's a big deal right there, because you you, you, could, you want to have enough coverage to make sure that they, because it could be multiple people getting hurt on your property. Right, and, Absolutely. and then you, you want to have a party in your deck fall or something. Exactly, and you know that's when we were encouraged to get an umbrella policy. Have mm -hmm. there are extra things, and and I remember when um, when Lou was alive, he obviously he hated insurance. He's like, why am I paying for something that might not ever happen? Well, then he goes and passes away, and he canceled his life insurance two months before he died. Well, wow. that eventuality didn't affect him, but it affected me. So yeah. was it a little short-sighted? Mm, kind of, maybe. Um, hmm. So we need to anticipate some of these things, not to put ourselves in the hole trying to insure, over-insure on all these things, 
but there are some prudent things we need to do now and and think about it because like you said one little lawsuit one little bump and fall is going to it's going to put you under financially. And, and we are in a litigious society. We are. <laughs> we are. Well, I mean, the, the good news is that at least for the next couple of years, pretty much every uh, civil courtroom is going to be choked with COVID lawsuits. Oh, my God, true. yeah. The, the people who didn't wear masks that are going to be sued because they theoretically infected someone nearby them, businesses that didn't enforce mask rules, the the COVID lawsuits are going to are going to extend out a decade. Well, yeah. and there'll be a lot of fraud involved with that too, and so that's, oh you God, know, yeah. We we Nobody get back is. to we get back to our the reason for this show is because we want people to be aware of what is out there, and it is mm-hmm. out in a big way. The uh, pandemic has not stopped fraudsters at all. If anything, not it's exacerbated all. it. I, I was going to say, if anything, yeah. I mean, I, I was looking at some of these people that are selling these products saying, oh, it'll clean the, the, the COVID from being in your house. Just put this in your house. It'll clean up all. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. So as, an, as a public adjuster there, what are you telling people? How, you know, shiny object syndrome, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't see that has nothing to do with their insurance. So no. I can't, I can't tell them anything on that. It has nothing to do with with their insurance or what they're covered for. Um, that's all I can really address with them. And so at that point, you know, they just have to use their their own judgment. Unfortunately, sometimes their judgment isn't that great. Well, it's buyer buyer beware. And yeah, Tim would say that yeah. too. Always, I love the the whole when our grandmothers, you know, when we were little, and Grandma used to say, "Sleep on it." Wait till tomorrow. You know, you're watching the infomercial and something, and something just sounds like you've got to go online and you've got to buy it right now. Well, yeah. how would you feel tomorrow if you just slept on it till tomorrow? Do you really need that thing? Probably not. That's, that's, you're right. So it's the step back, disengage a little bit, and put some space in between what you want to do. And that, that comes down to online, you know, engagement. And it also yep. comes back to research. It gives you time to research something. Look for reviews. Look for. I always go to Amazon. Can I buy it on Amazon? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. There's just a lot to it, and and this has been a really great discussion, and I've had so much fun. But I want to get to one thing. You are an author of multiple books. Yeah. You wrote one called "Why Didn't You Get It Done." <laughs> Why did you write that book, and who's it for? Well, that book is for people that procrastinate. And which might be the world. But, and what's your what's your what's your definition of procrastination? Uh, as the title suggests, people that aren't getting things done that they feel that they they said they wanted to get done, they even may have wanted to get done, but they haven't taken the action towards it. And so that that book, and actually, it's it started because our our, our friend Trevor Trevor was watching me talk to a group of people, and he saw the way I interacted with them. And he said, you need to be some type of productivity or action coach or something. He said people would pay for that. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it. I said, I don't even know how to get started. And he said, well, you're probably going to need to write a book. And I said, well, I'd never written it. But I was always good with writing, but I'd never written a book before. And it's a funny story because I said, well, what do I need to do to get started? He said, just write down a list of your chapters right now. Just, you don't have to put them in any order. Just write down a list of what you want your chapters to be about. So I saw him the next day, and we, went to, we were at an event, and I, we went to lunch together, and I said, well, I got that list of chapters done, and he started laughing at me. 
And I'm like, why are you laughing? And he said, because I just want to bet. And I said, okay, <laughs> why are you betting on me? And he said, because I bet, he was a friend of ours named Keisha, he said, I bet Keisha that she would have that done the very next day. <laughs> and I said, and, and see, that, that lets you know you don't know how other people see you. Yeah. He, 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 he felt that that's how I operate. I always get stuff done. And I didn't think that people saw me like that. I just, that's just the way I operated. And so then I started doing, getting into the book. And I said, well, if I'm going to write a book on getting things done, I need to make sure I get it done. So I actually finished writing in six days. Wow. And, uh, and I was joking. I tell people on the seventh day I rested. But, um, <laughs> but now, now that doesn't include all the editing and so forth. But my part was done in six days. So then, yeah, I, I put the book out there, and it, you know, it was that was it. And I, you know, it, it's kind of a, it's actually, it's funny. I wrote the book in like I think it was 2013, and it, it seems to be more popular now than it was then. <laughs> I'm getting asked to speak on different different events just on that book because people seem to like the book now. It's, it's catching up, some, catching some steam right now. So hey, and I'm it's happy. it's available. It's available on Amazon if someone wants it. It's called Why Didn't You Get It Done, and it comes down to accountability and having someone challenge mm-hmm. you. To get off and your rear end. And then stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. And, and I loved, uh, in one of your interviews with Pat Rogers, you talked about the anxiety of it. Procrastination is a byproduct of anxiety because mm-hmm. you're a, it's, it's a perceived what's going to happen. It's not real. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. And that's I true with tell, anything. I tell people like this, Debbie. I said, if you went outside and someone put mm-hmm. a gun to your head, that is a fear. You have a fear for your life because there's a clear and present danger there. But if you're afraid to go outside because you think someone might put a gun to your head, that is anxiety. You made that up because no one actually is doing it. <laughs> that is so true, and that, that's a whole nother show. So there, <laughs> our hour has just flown by. I want to thank you so much for your insight, thank for your you. fun. Thank you, Tim, as well. Appreciate it. Barrett, be careful when you go to Ghana. We'll talk to you and, and Dr. Rivers before you go. We'd love to you know, help out with civility and, and on the other side of the world. But in the meantime, folks, be civil in your own home. Be civil with your friends and your family. Uh, we need to be kind to one another as we go forward. Thank you for, uh, for our listeners for Stand Up and Speak Up. We're dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. And if anybody's been a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, which is a Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime assistance, crime victims assistance organization based here in Miami. We support scam victims worldwide. And scam is a huge issue right now, folks. Go to romancescamsnow.com for some incredible information. This episode has been sponsored by Benfo Complete, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in your hands and feet, check out our Benfotamine products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Thanks, folks. Go to my website, thewomenbehindthesmile.com, for additional information and resources. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. These shows will always be posted on YouTube with video. I encourage you to do so. We appreciate everybody that comes to Stand Up and Speak Up. Get your, get your guns going today. Get out there and have fun. And we appreciate you so much. So have a great day, and talk to you next week.
Bye now.